I forgot to choose a post-communion hymn, <laughs> and so uh, Denise is so flexible and uh, talented. Uh, she's she's going to help me with a surprise song at the end. Surprise song at the end. One of my favorites written by uh, a man named Eddie Van Halen, and I'm sure <laughs> not that many people know who Eddie Van Halen is, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, well played, man. I mean, if, if, if when I was a teenager, I was sitting in church, and because uh, my dad was a pastor, and uh, we'd sit in church, and my uh, the preacher would be on my sin like stink on a dog. I mean, the preacher would be reading my mail, just exactly what I'd been doing the night before or that week. I mean, just. And I can't believe it, right? And my best friend Thomas would go, can you believe this? He's talking about... And I've been a preacher's kid my whole life. When a preacher gets on your sin, you don't let him know. You just look straight ahead, especially if it's your dad. <laughs> and man, and so uh, you guys did good. You just, you just kept a straight face. Matt's bringing my water. Thank you, son. Now... Uh, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Romans chapter 13. We're going to look at lots of verses of Scripture this morning. All the references will be on the screen for you. Uh, Brother Ed and Sister Amanda are going to... I think it's Amanda back Oh, it's Mike. <laughs> From here, they look just alike. <laughs> they're going to guide us through this. They're going to change slides for me <laughs> back there. But I want to talk to you this morning about, uh, we've been, I've been giving these uh, few sermons about the houses we live in. We talked about our house, the, our homes, and then we talked about the church, a couple sermons each. And then this sermon is about uh, Caesar's house or God and government. And so this is, the, this is the, I'm supposed to give two sermons on this, but I'm, I'm, I, just, I, I may just give this one and go back to Romans chapter uh, 6 next Sunday. Because I think I can probably say enough about it today uh, to accomplish my purpose in that. But what I'm going to talk about this morning is, is mostly directed to Christians. Mostly directed to Christians. Now, I realize that some of you are not Christians. And um, you need to hear this too, so that you can know what you ought to expect from Christians. Sometimes people who are not Christians have the wrong expectations of Christian people. They think that we are the people who've got it all together, that, we, that we're just great, but Christians are not. We don't have it all together. We're a mess. We have problems. We sin. We had a membership interview this morning for someone, and, and we, I told him in the interview, I said, you know, we're a, we're a collection of redeemed sinners. So for us to expect there to be no sin in this fellowship, in this congregation, would be foolish. We have sin because we're sinners. We, we have to deal with it. You, you, anyway, If you have kids, you expect to have a mess if you have a husband, you expect to have fish and stuff. If you have sinners, you expect to have sin. Now, non-Christians, I want you to remember, non-Christian friend, that we're all sinners. And that's just the and and, and what you're going to hear probably are things that Christ, you don't see out of Christians, but that, that's our objective. We're trying to live up to these standards. We're trying to live up to what Scripture says. That's that's our ambition. We fail. We're always in a state of, of correction, of reformation, trying to do better. So before I begin, I, I do want to say a brief word to you about the fact that you are not a Christian. 
And I want to remind you of a few things that Scripture says. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, That there are none righteous, no, not one. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You are a sinner, and you need Christ. Now, you may say, well, I am not a sinner. That's because your sin is the sin of self-righteousness. If you could see yourself in the mirror of God's word, if you could compare yourself to the right standard, to the right measure, you'll find that you're a sinner. And you have no righteousness of your own. Scripture says that our righteousness, our moral goodness, is so tainted that God cannot accept it. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. And we need an alien righteousness to come from God to us. And that righteousness is only available to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He died on the cross. He bore in his body. His soul and his blood were offered up as the payment for sin for all who would believe in him. On the cross, redemption was accomplished there. And if you will put your faith in Christ, if you'll call upon him, if you'll realize your need of salvation, if you'll realize your true condition and call upon him, he'll save you. Now that seems fantastic to think that he'll give me forgiveness and everlasting life no matter what I've done in the past. That seems too good to be true, but it is true. It is true. Put your faith in Christ. Romans ten thirteen reminds us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So as you sit here today and hear me talk to Christians, I kind of hope that you can't hear anything I say (laughs) except what I just said to you. But if you you do hear it, keep those things in mind. Let's have a short prayer and then I'll start this sermon. Father, we thank you for your time, not your time. That's a dumb thing to say. We thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us this opportunity to be here. We pray you'd help us in Christ's holy and glorious name. Amen. Now, friends, there are many things I like to say on the subject of God and government, but I don't know if I can do it without alienating most of you because my own personal politics, my own personal views might frighten you or thrill you. I'm not sure. But my work here is not to preach or tell you my opinions about these things. My, my job here is to tell you what God's Word says. And where I am in disagreement with God's Word, I should correct. And where you are in disagreement with God's Word, you should correct as well. Now, I'm trying to leave out the Terry 100% and just let you have God's word. And I may err, and uh, hopefully I won't do that. Let's look at some scripture, all right? Romans chapter 1, verses 13, chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. If you have it in your Bible, say amen. amen. Verse 1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. I'm reading from the New International Version. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against God, against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, 
but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. This text of Scripture gives us a high view of human government and reminds us that every power is ordained by God. That means every power is the power God wants to be there. Keep that in mind. Now that means that even governmental powers that are good and bad are both ordained by God. Both are ordained by God. The powers that be, the governing authorities are given to us by God. They are set up by God. Psalm 75, verses 6 through 7, says that promotion does not come from the east or the west or north or south, but it comes from the Lord. No one comes to power. No system comes to power in the world. No political force comes to power in the world unless God wants it to. Unless God wants it to. Keep that in mind. So that would mean that revolutions and insurrections are generally violations of God's purpose. Now, the implications of that are are striking, and if you want to talk about them later, we can, but I don't want to do it now. To rebel against the government, to revolt against the governing authority that God has given to us, these are violations of God's purpose. If Romans 13, 1-7 is true. Now, in the day in which we live, it's a different day than, than existed long ago. Because it wasn't until the 1700s, the 18th century, that individual citizens had the right or the opportunity to shape their own governments. Before that, it was whoever was born into a particular family, whoever had a big enough gun and a big enough entourage, that's who made the rules. Whoever had the money, the means, and the men... <laughs> That's who made all the decisions. And that's the way it was throughout human history. If you want to know how about that, read the Bible. You'll see an interesting development of human government in Scripture. Whoever had the force, the power and opportunity, made the rules. The idea that citizens can have the ability to shape their government is something that's relatively new. At least a freedom is an opportunity that's given to all people. Because not everybody has had that opportunity. So we should use in these governments that God has set up, specifically our government, in our context, we should use the legal processes that are set up. And if we need to change things, we should use those processes. And if the attempts to change things via the law, via the processes established, then if that fails, then God must not want those things to be changed. Now, the only time we're permitted to disobey God's ministers, that's what Romans says, these, these servants, these governing authorities are God's ministers, God's servants. The only time we are permitted to disobey them is when they call upon us or ask us to disobey God. You can look at Acts 5, 27 through 32, where the apostles in Jerusalem are commanded by the religious civil authority, the Jews. They say, we don't want you to speak anymore about Jesus Christ. Knock it off. And they say, well, we have to obey God and not man. man." See see the, the important distinction. If they tell us to disobey God, We have to disobey them. So you have to be very cautious 
when you're, when you're doing that kind of thing. I put here to say, before you lead a rebellion, you need to be sure that it is because they're compelling you to disobey God and not just compelling you to do something that you don't want to do. Right? Because I don't like being told what to do. Do you? <laughs> I had a pastor friend of mine. He said, if you want to cause a problem in your church, I'll tell you how to do it. I said, how? He said, make a rule. <laughs> One time I told the choir at our church in Arkansas, I said, all the men got to wear ties if you're going to sing in the choir. I lost about half my men the next Sunday. They said, we ain't wearing no stinking tie. <laughs> but I said, it'll look so nice. And they said, we don't care. We ain't wearing a tie. And so I took away the rule. And guess what those jokers did? They wore a tie. Wore a tie. <laughs> Cotton pickers. I mean, I, a kid said I can't say that. Now I'm saying it all the time. So a high view of, of government tells that these governments that are around are God's governments. And that uh, has certain implications. Now look at 2 Peter chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 17. And this text of Scripture tells us about the certain attitude that we should have towards the leaders that we have. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. In a, in a list of of statements here, the apostle says that we should show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Now this tells us what our attitude should be towards our leaders, especially the highest leaders. Honor the emperor. It means to give reverence and respect to the emperor. Which means that while let's go Brandon is funny and provides fascinating social commentary that would actually be a violation of this text. The Let's Go Brandon thing is, a, is hilarious. It is completely hilarious. But it's disrespectful. It's disrespectful. We, we were at the, the Memorial Day observance Monday morning. Monday morning. And the soldiers up there, and they're honoring the soldiers, remembering those who died in, the, in service. And uh, at the end of it, they, they had five, they, I think they played taps was the last thing they played. And at the end of it, the uh, command sergeant major came up and he said, you know, thanks for coming today. This concludes our portion of the remembrance here, but we're going to be going to a different place. And uh, a lot of the soldiers who were there, former service or prior service or current service members, they, they gave a salute the flag, you know, we just got done saying the pledge and that kind of thing. And somebody shouted out, let's go, Brandon! That was the very last word of the whole thing. And I, and I laughed. I thought, that is so funny. Because it was funny. I thought, that's interesting. And then I thought about it more. I thought, we're there to honor the nation, to honor the, the lives of men and women who laid their lives down, who died. They gave up their life to, in, in respect for the government, in respect for the government that they're making fun of. I thought it was a striking thing. I thought, that, I thought it was dishonorable to the, whole, the, to the whole situation myself. But then I thought, you know, those, that's exactly the freedom of speech right that those, those guys laid down their lives for, right? The freedom to say what they want to say. So you, you, kind of, you, kind of have to li- you kind of have to live in the tensions of those ideas. You know, and you, you may disagree with me, but that's, that's cool. But overall, our attitude towards the emperor, towards the leaders of our nation, should be respectful. 
This is where Christians can get carried away in their passions. We all have passions. We're passionate people. And these passions have to be controlled. We're supposed to be a temperate people who are not carried along by emotions. And political emotions can become so hot, so heated that we behave in unchristian ways. Politics. What's the old adage? Two things you don't talk about at work. What are they? Religion and politics. And so here we are today in a house of worship where we're all about religion, talking about politics, so we know it's going to be explosive. Boosh! <laughs> but we are, we, are, we are involved in politics. We're in, in, influenced by them. We're affected by them. And so we have to be cautious. I'm going to say this to you. I had experience with this one time, and so I think this, this is worthy to say. A person's political position is none of my business or yours. How you vote or I vote is none of your business and vice versa. It's not my concern. That's between you and who? God. You guys ever seen Andy Griffith? And Barney and Andy are talking one day about something, and Andy asks him something, and Barney blows up and says, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, they did some kind of voting thing, and Andy says to Barney, he says, that was real democratic of you, Barn. And Barn says, I'll have you know, mister, the ballot box is sacred. <laughs> Leave it to Barney. So how you, your, your own personal political positions are between you and God. It's none of my business. And what we have to be cautious about is that we, we put people in categories or judge them because of their views. I'm not telling you my political views. Although I think probably most of you would agree with my political views. I know a lot of you would not agree with my political views. And we got the whole, if we unloaded the whole wagon, some of you would probably go out here and say, we done made a mistake. <laughs> now, if a person is a Christian... Regardless of their political position, they're my brother or sister in Christ. And I have to work to maintain the unity of the bond of peace with them. That's Ephesians 4.3. Work. That's interesting. The Bible says work to maintain. Because it's hard to do sometimes. Because our passions can get into our, in our way. Now, to be honest with you, I don't know how, I, how any Christian can be a Chicago Cubs fan. I just don't think that that's possible. Now, that's an extreme illustration, isn't it? Because my dad hates the Cubs with a purple passion, and therefore I hate them too. <laughs> Go cards. So it's just to show an example of how passions can get, be worked about, about anything, any kind of thing. Now, do you guys know the name Trey Gowdy? Trey Gowdy was a member of the House of Representatives from South Carolina, and they, they tried to nominate him for... Uh, Attorney General in the Trump administration, but he didn't want to do it. Trey Gowdy's kind of he's kind of got a reputation based on all the clips I've seen on the on television of being a bulldog, you know, in his committees, just just being a holy terror. Well, Trey Gowdy, believe it or not, is an evangelical Christian, and he gave a sermon or a talk a couple years ago at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. That is. Uh, you guys know Ed Young, the Ed Young from Dallas, Elevation Church or Fellowship Church in Dallas? Well, Ed Young's father, Ed Young Sr., pastor of Second Baptist Church 
in Houston, Texas. And if you get a chance to hear either one of them preach, they're, they're really great speakers. But Trey Gowdy gave a talk at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. And in that talk, he's talking about being, about being divided from people. Being divided from people. And he says in that talk, it's, it's, it was fascinating to me at the time, it still blows my mind. Because in the talk, he says that his daughter is a socialist. So here's a guy who's kind of the, 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 the point man for conservatism, for that whole, that whole political viewpoint, saying that his very own daughter disagrees with him categorically. And he says the, the heat, the passion over that, he said, could push us away. Because he's fighting against all of her ideals. Think about that. He's investing the best years of his life at the time to oppose everything his daughter believes philosophically, sociologically, politically. You know, think about that Thanksgiving dinner. But here's what he said. He said, I'm not going to let anything push me and her apart. I'm going to work to stay in her life. I'm not going to let anything push us apart because she matters to me. I love her. Those are ideas and positions. He said, I have to put them aside. Now, to, to me, I was just, I was my, I was, my mind was just lit up by that idea. He loves her. And because he loves her, he said, I don't worry about her politics because I value her. Now think about that and ask yourself if you value people over their positions, over their politics, that kind of thing. All right, let's move on. All in favor, say aye. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. The Apostle Paul, talking to Timothy, who lives in the city of Ephesus, he has the oversight of a church there. And Paul says this to Timothy. I urge, this is 1 Timothy 2.1, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. For this purpose I was appointed as a herald and apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Now this text of Scripture, this passage directs us. The Apostle Paul says, I urge that first of all, that prayers be offered for those who are in the highest of offices because we want to get from them quiet and peaceful lives. And then the, the, the big idea here is because those persons who are in these offices that can take away our peacefulness, can take away our, our pastoral life, you might say, we want to see those people born again so they can have the benefit of Christ as a mediator. We're praying for these governmental leaders that the Lord will be with them and help them to do what? Leave us alone. That's a striking thing. We want to live a quiet and peaceable life. 
So we're praying for them. We want to live a, live a quiet life, and we also want them to come to faith. This is kind of the big idea here. Paul is saying that all kinds of people can be converted. So at the time, the emperor of Rome is Nero. And we all know about Nero, right? A real wacko. A real loon. And he's praying, and he says, those people, the Lord wants all men to be saved. And the idea here is that all kinds of people can be saved, because you and I get into our minds sometimes that there are some people who are not savable. Which leads me to this next sentence, all right? The main point here is that all sorts of people can be saved. So friends, if Hillary Clinton or Rachel Levine are elective God, then they can be saved by God's regenerating grace because that grace is irresistible. If they, are, if, if they are meant to be saved, they can be saved. Doesn't matter who they are or what they are or what they're trying to do. And if you know those two names, it's probably the most, those are the two most extreme names I could come up with politically. I could probably come up with a whole list of them. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. These persons, we, want, we, we pray for them so that they will have the sense to do the right things. This is my interpretation. And so that they too can come to faith in Christ and have the benefit of Christ as mediator. Now, the main point of that passage is that we are praying that these persons will be born again. Not for our political and economic gain, although that that might be an outcome, but born again primarily for the glory of God in Christ, which is a motivation we need to watch out for. That we're seeking God's glory above all things, whether therefore you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Not the glory of self, Not the glory of the nation, but the glory of God. Sometimes those things coincide, but they don't always coincide. The glory of God should be our consuming passion. James chapter 4 verse 3 warned us about this. They said, you guys pray about stuff, but you don't get your prayers answered because you're just praying to get your own lust satisfied. Your own lust satisfied. Anybody in here ever been deer hunting? Ever been fishing? Okay, the rest of you guys, that's what heaven's like. <laughs> you ever been sitting in a deer stand and it's cold, you're, you're freezing, and you ain't seeing anything. You're not seeing any deer. You've been shining your spotlight all over and you can't find a one. <laughs> You ever been in that situation? <laughs> John talks about it all the time. <laughs> you ever been in that situation right there deer hunting and said, Lord, please let me see a deer? Any of you hunters ever done that? Have you ever, you ever said, Lord, let me see a big deer? Have you ever said, Lord, let my grandbaby see a deer? I haven't, but you know, this kind of thing. You ever see a deer near somebody else's deer stand and say, Lord, don't let that deer go back over there? (laughs) 
You ever been fishing? You're out there fishing, you, and you made, you, made, you made the drive. You bought the worms. You got your pole. You got, you're all ready. You're in the water. You're fishing, and said, and you're not getting anything. And said, Lord, please let me catch a fish. You ever done that? Well, I, I have. And it hasn't been because my family is going hungry. It hasn't been because you know, my, my life depends on catching something. It's just been because I want to catch a fish. I want to kill a deer. I have prayed about basketball. Lord, let all my shots be swishes. <laughs> not, not, because, not because, just because I wanted somebody to go, wow, Terry, look at him. Yeah, that's just the way we are. We, we have to be on guard against that in every area. Really look, examine the motives sometimes. Now look at Psalms 118. Psalms 118. Psalms 118. Two readings in Psalms. Psalms 118, verses 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Turn to Psalm 20, verses 7 and 8. Psalm 20, verses 7 to 8. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. The contrast in both these passages is it's better to put your faith in God and not in man. And what God does in the Psalms is he reminds us to put our trust in him and not in men and women and princes and rulers. And so I I hear this a lot. And I've been hearing a similar statement my whole life about whoever is president of the United States. I hear this a lot. If only Trump could have stayed in office. If only we could just get Trump back in there. If only Trump, if only Trump, if only Trump. Like Trump is the Messiah. Like he's the answer to America's problems. Well, let's say, let's say, we, let's say we get Big Don in there for the next 20 years. Well, he's going to die. And we're going to elect somebody else. And the way the electoral cycles go, the Democrats get to be on top for a while, and then the Americans let the Republicans be on top for a while, and they, it just goes through a cycle. Our trust for the future and hope should not be in men. Valerie has this great story about her father. He was riding his bicycle past, it was in, uh, in Conway, Arkansas, riding his bicycle, eight years old, down the street, a lady comes out of the front door of the house and shrieks, FDR has died! FDR, the man who can't be beat, you know? This paragon of, of Americanism who's pushing us for, leading us through the greatest conflict the world's ever seen, World War II. He's dead, what are we going to do? And who takes over? A guy nobody wanted to be vice president. Harry Truman. What a, what a fascinating thing. Everybody said we got to have FDR in there, but all they really needed was, was Harry Truman. A farmer from Missouri who took his military training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, incidentally. <laughs> Don't put your trust in men. The President of the United States, no matter who it is, is not the Savior of the Union. 
Trump is not the savior of the union, and Joe Biden is not the destroyer of the union. Now, you listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I think this is, this, this is worth hearing. God is both the savior and destroyer of America. God is. Just as God both saved and destroyed Israel. It's the exact same thing. God made Israel. God broke Israel. God broke Israel. We need to be careful not to put our trust in human beings because people will let you down. I voted for Mike Huckabee for governor of Arkansas in 19, I guess it's going to be 19, I went there in 96, 1998, I think, or 97, he ran for governor. And he said, I'm not going to raise your taxes. I'm not going to raise your taxes. As soon as he got elected, you know what that yard bird did? Well, you know what he did. He raised taxes. He said, well, we had to do it. You know, we just had to do it. We need to fix the roads. Got to get some stuff in the schools. We, had to, we are forced to raise taxes. Well, the next time he ran for governor, guess what I did not do? I did not vote for him because he raised my... T- he said he wouldn't, and he did. <laughs> I talked, and, you know, he called me and said, Terry, I'm real sorry. And I said, well... <laughs> I said, Mike, we're going to have to go separate ways. <laughs> I'm just saying that in general, that people are going to disappoint you. Put, you. put your trust in me, they're going to disappoint you. And then, plus, people, people die. Men and women are going to pass off the scene, and if your trust is in a person, you're going to be rocked when they're gone. You see this most uh, poignantly in grief counseling. is the people who lose a son or a daughter, a husband or a wife, sometimes that loss just sends that person into a tailspin. It normally sends you into a tailspin. Sometimes it's irrecoverable. Irrecoverable. Because we really get wrapped up in people. We, should put our, we need to put our trust in God. And I've seen this happen politically, I think, and I've seen it happen in individuals. I've seen it happen in churches. I pastored a church where a prominent gifted pastor had been there for a long time, then he retired. And the people were in a tailspin about it for decades. Still just can't get over brother so-and-so. He was so great and so good. Friends, the, the fate of the kingdom of God does not depend upon human governments. So God says in his word, don't put your trust in princes. Don't put your pr- trust in human beings. Just to illustrate that the kingdom of God does not depend on human governments, I offer you a, a couple examples. Number one, there are more Christians in China than there are in America. And I want you to tell me, which one of those is more friendly officially to the kingdom of God? Now, what nation in the world has produced incredibly massive corruptions of Christian doctrine? What nation? The United States of America. I'm, I'm going to give you some examples. The, mo- the dominant pseudo-Christian cults in the world are these. The Latter-day Saints. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Mormon Church. Created, grown, nurtured and matured and become very powerful right here in America. Homegrown false doctrine. 
The second is Jehovah's Witnesses. Homegrown right here in America. The Word of Faith Prosperity Gospel Movement. An American production. The Campbellite Movement. Now you may know what the Campbellites are. The Campbellites are the churches of Christ. Those, those churches which are part of the Stone Campbell uh, Restoration Movement. Basically they believe that uh, baptism saves you. Baptismal regeneration. It's very, very big in the South. Not, not as big here. We have one of their churches here in town. Hardshellism. That's fatalistic hyper-Calvinism. All these things right here from America. So, so you got to think about these things. Not, not all issues are just cut and dry. Christians, we can't, well, the, the success of the kingdom of God does not depend on America staying around. When Christianity emerged, it was just a little cult in the, in the midst of hundreds of cults in the Roman Empire. It was just one of many different religions. And under a very oppressive government, Christianity flourished. In fact, it looks to me like Christianity does really well when everybody's against it, when the governments are officially against it. Persecution makes Christianity go poof for whatever reason. Now, the last thing. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 20. If you have your copy of God's Word, look at Philippians chapter 3, verse number 20. And then if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians 5.20, you may. I realize I'm, the sermon's going longer than normal. I wish I had. I forgot it was Communion Sunday. and Miss Parker, she's back there with the kids in junior church. You know, she can only take them for so long. <laughs> Bless her heart. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. I'll try to move quickly. The Apostle Paul writing to the Philippian Christians who live in a very favored city politically. There are lots of benefits to them because they are in the city of Philippi. They're all automatically made Roman citizens, which brings them a lot of perks and benefits. Philippians 3.20 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven. Now, in the authorized version, it doesn't say citizenship. It says our conversation is in heaven. It's one of the most interesting translations, in my opinion, in the Authorized Version because the Authorized Version was translated by the servants and ministers of King James VI, the King of England. And King James, in the the translation of the Bible into English in 1611, in 1607, 1604 really, was a political move. If they had translated the Bible in that time and said, put the word citizenship, the Greek word is polyumio, if they put the word citizenship in there, they would have been telling all of the British subjects, your true, citizen, your true citizenship, therefore your true allegiance is where? In heaven. King of England can't take that. So we have this translation. So we have that translation. And the modern, newer translations all change it properly to citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like His glorious body. Paul reminds the Philippians that their true citizenship is in heaven and not on earth. There's an old uh, spiritual song they sing, down, they, sing down, they sing down south. It's called, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. 
to be called up to glory. I'm just a passing through. Years later, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, he says this. He reminds those Christians that they are ambassadors for Christ in this world. Don't miss the significance of those statements. The world and nations we live in are places to which we are foreigners. We are citizens of the heavenly kingdom, and we are here as ambassadors of that kingdom. Jesus says in Matthew 28, we're to go to the nations and make disciples of those those nations, of those people. We're to go to bring them from their kingdoms into our kingdom. Paul says in Colossians that we are members of the kingdom of light, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, we are transformed, we're transferred into the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness. So our citizenship and our work as ambassadors is given to us in Matthew 6, where Jesus says we should seek first the kingdom of heaven. So our priorities and allegiances must be in the proper order. Our primary allegiance is not to the United States of America. It is to Christ and everyone else second. Now take your copy of God's Word. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14. This, this, this is such a sobering text of Scripture. Luke 14, 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish Or suppose a king's about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the others are still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus is saying, look, it's me or nothing. It's all me or nothing. One time I had seven girlfriends. I'm teasing. I never had seven girlfriends. I barely could keep one girlfriend. But if you have a girlfriend, say say you got two girlfriends, and they find out about each other, what's going to be said? (laughs) Christine, we know where Christine stands. She says, I'm out. (laughs) But you got to make a choice. I had a friend in college. He had two fiancés. Two fiancés. What a fool. He's talking to me one day. We're talking, we're talking about it. We're playing basketball. Basketball keeps coming into my life in a weird way. We're talking about basketball. We're playing basketball, and we're talking about He's like, he said, he said, which one should I pick? And being the spiritual paragon that I was, I said, which one's the prettiest? <laughs> you got to pick. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, it's, it's, it's me. It's me. You've got to be willing to give up everything for him. It's, these, are, these are strong words by Christ. It's sobering. 
So our priorities, our allegiances must be Jesus first and everyone else second. Now the implications of these words in Philippians and 2 Corinthians are interesting to me. So here's the illustration. Does the ambassador to the United States from Great Britain get to vote in our elections or are they able to hold elected office in the American government? Even though they are here, are, they're here representing Great Britain, do they get to participate in what's going on over here? No, because why? Their citizenship is over there. Over there. They're not citizens. And the only way that a British citizen can become an American citizen is they renounce their citizenship. Although some countries that are good buddies of ours, you can have dual citizenship. Well, normally after you renounce your citizenship. So our, our priorities have to be the kingdom of heaven first. Now, say, what does that mean about my American citizenship and etc.? Do I got to renounce all those things? No. The Apostle Paul used his Roman citizenship to prolong his life and used it to aid his ministry, to aid his efforts to expand the gospel. So you don't need to renounce your citizenship in America to be a Christian, but you need to keep your allegiances in proper order. We should use all the benefits of being an American of our freedom, of our opportunities, of our prosperity. We should make the full use of those things to expand the kingdom of God, to use it while we can. And if you honor Christ, you'll find yourself honoring the government right along. So Paul says in Romans 13, it's his entire thesis. So in summation, I'll give you these things. Honor God by honoring His governments and ministers, Think of the government we have as that kind of thing. Pray for the salvation of our leaders and not for their demise, as some people do. Trust in God and not in man. Remember, this world is not our homeland. We are citizen ambassadors of heaven and our Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ. and He's going to come back on these days and take us all home to the heavenly realm. Let's pray together. Father, we've taken a long time to say these what I thought would be very few things. I pray you help us to understand them better, Lord, and if we've erred, help us to know the errors. We pray these things in Jesus' holy and glorious name. Amen.